Welcome to Tzarech Iyun, a podcast from Yeshivat Oraita. Listen in as two Rebbeim reflect with one another on current events and unpack central Hashkafic questions that affect how they view the world. A forum for diversion perspectives informed by both study and lived experience, these conversations will illuminate a handful of the Shivim Panim Torah and scratch the surface of ideas which may in fact require further exploration. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Tzarech Iyun podcast brought to you by Yeshivat Oraita. My name is David Silverstein, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming to the podcast Rabbi Yoshua Pfeffer. Rabbi Pfeffer, thank you so much for coming on the Tzarech Iyun podcast. Pleasure. Good to be here. So before we get into the uh, the topic at hand, um, you wrote an article uh, fairly recently in the Wall Street Journal, and the topic of the article was the ultra-Orthodox Israelis are, are joining the army. A fairly provocative title, obviously something which, you know, the average American reader hears and thinks, oh my God, the army is going to change entirely. We're going to have mass conscription of uh, Haredi Jews in Israel. And we'll talk about that at length. Before we get there, I think uh, your biography in many ways is sort of very much a fascinating piece of uh, your perspective. So before we get into the details of what you're trying to claim in the article and the broader question of ultra-Orthodox uh, Jews and the army, especially after October 7th, Maybe just tell us for a few minutes about where you were raised, you know, where you studied. I know that you, um, you know, function very much in the Haredi community. At the same time, you lecture at Hebrew University. So you have a very sort of eclectic background. So maybe if you could spend a few minutes just talking about sort of uh, where you came from. Um, all right. I'm, I'm happy to uh, to dwell on this for, for a short time. We don't want to waste the listeners' time too much on biographical detail. But I grew up in, in, in London in a community in Hendon. Hendon is a part of Northwest London, very, uh, you know, kind of Jewish, Jewish London, if you want. Um, I grew up in a, I would say, you know, pretty, pretty mainstream English community in Hendon. Um, I finished my schooling in uh, North London, Hasmonean, and then I, I uh, continued to learn in, in Yeshiva in Eretz Israel, and I, I very much fell in love uh, very quickly uh, with Israel, with the yeshiva world, more specifically, but generally speaking, with with life in Israel, it, it was pretty clear to me um, soon soon on uh, into my you know yeshiva life that I wasn't really looking back towards England, and I was uh, I was here to stay. Uh, so I spent some years in Beis Israel, yeshiva mainly for um, Anglo or English speaking uh, uh, yeshiva bachrim, and then made my way to yeshiva smear. You know, all, all roads lead to Meir. Okay, some good or brisk. Uh, but I made my way to Yeshiva Smeir and um, spent uh, a good five years learning under Rabasha Ariely. I would say that's uh, uh, really my my kind of um, um, <coughs> initiation into the, uh, you know, the Yeshiva space or the Israeli Yeshiva space uh, was through uh, uh, Meir and, and Rabasha Ariely. Um, I... Uh, Got married. My wife is uh, from here in Israel, daughter of Rav Reuven Leuchter, a well-known personality in the Muslim world in Eretz Israel. And I was living the, you know, the Haredi ideal, if you want. We, I carried on learning. Um, I learned many years under Rav Asha Weiss, uh, Shlita Murivarebi, in anything related to halacha, also in life in many ways. Um, and uh, I was I was very much uh, engaged in the Halacha world, in the world of Halacha, 
uh, I've I filled a number of positions in the in the halachic uh, realm, if you want, uh, whether it was in answering shilas on on din online an international website, whether it was in in penning halacha articles. Uh, I studied many years under uh, Rav Moshe Shapira, Zechariah Levracha, uh, also Miravarebi, and I, I also started to write and to speak about topics in Jewish thought uh, and so on. And and this was very much my my world. It was a it was a very much like a you know a, a Torah um, a Torah world, uh, not very related to the the rest of Israel. If you want, um, it was you know my own kind of a enclave, living in Ramat. I had my own minion there, um, and and so on. And um, after a certain time, I would say, of of living a very a very fulfilled, but 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 somewhat you, you would say enclosed or or kind of narrow kind of track. Um, I was inspired for a number of reasons to try to broaden those horizons. I, I feel that. You know that it's it's hard in hindsight to backtrack and to think exactly what was it that provoked uh, this kind of shift uh, to a certain degree. But there were a number of factors. But one of them was um, Parnassa. You know, I, I was always uh, the the one that was the breadwinner of the family, and and you know that that's also a a kind of a, a trigger. Revolbi used to say that the greatest source of siyata deshma in a person's life that directs him towards his calling is the need of parnasa, the need to make an income. So I think that was that was a part of it. But there, but there were also deeper elements there. There was maybe a, a certain frustration with the tension, even animosity sometimes between Haredi society that I was very much a part of. Uh, my world was a was a Hebrew speaking world mainly. Um, it was a Hebrew speaking Haredi world, and I, I noted I I couldn't help. But realized the tension, the animosity between the Haredim and the rest of Israel. I found that very disturbing, and I was wondering what can be done in that realm. And at the same time, I also began to understand or to think about some of the things that disturbed me about about my own immediate surroundings in the, in this Israeli Haredi space. Thinking about questions of education, thinking about edu- uh, questions of of um, of uh, of of worldview of how we look at the rest of Israel, I had a lot of questions. Obviously, I came from a slightly different upbringing in uh, Northwest London to most of my peers, and that gave me a different kind of perspective. I'll give you just one anecdote that I've mentioned elsewhere, but it's kind of a good anecdote of these differences of perspective. I was walking by the Ramat Mall that was then a hole in the ground. It was just wasn't built yet. I was in Avreich and Kailo. Um, and I was walking with a friend from the Koilel. We were passing by the Ramat Mall, and I told him, "Listen, this is uh, this is pretty cool. We're going to have a shopping center. We're going to have a mall over here. It's got opportunities. It's nice." He looked at me, and 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 really, I, I I had a an impression. He was looking at me as though I was from the moon, like out of space. I was like, "What are you talking about? This is a bunch of chilonim making money. Like, what's nice about this?" Okay, so I got very defensive. You know, I started telling him, well, you know, there's a, a Shalom Eshev, you know, Yeshiva Yisrael, uh, economics, uh, you know, all kinds of defensiveness um, about how this is good. Uh, this is a part of Yeshiva Aretz. This is to our benefit. Uh, half half of the investors are, are Haredi. You know, what do you want? 
And he was like, how do you see anything good in this? Like, what, what's good about a mall? There, there's just nothing there. And, and I realized that, that, you know, I do have a different kind of hashkafa in, 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 in certain elements to, to some of my peers here. What, what do I do with this? So I said, okay, first of all, I'd like to get to know the rest of Israel a little bit. So I, I did a law degree at Hebrew U. At the time, I was serving as a, as a dayan on, on Rav Hashavai's basement quite often. And, and that led me to believe that if you want to be a good dayan, you also need to know law. So I said, all right, let's study law. I studied law at Hebrew U. Um, without really seizing any of my other activities, but it definitely brought me in to Israel. Meaning it made me feel a sense of belonging, that I'm a part of something bigger, even though I'm I'm within my own, you know, Haredi enclave, but that enclave is one of many other sub-communities and societies within Israel, and we have a common mission, we have a common project, there's something that, that unites us um, more than that which which separates us. And, and that led me, okay, I did a whole bunch of other things. I clerked at the Supreme Court. I was involved in many projects, but it, it just led me to the basic insight that we need to think hard-headedly about developing a an infrastructure, both in terms of thought and in terms of institutions, role models, leadership, and so on, of how we can have a Haredi society that on the one hand certainly preserves all that's good and beautiful and important about this Torah world that a lot of blood, sweat and toil was invested into building it. And it's very special. It has tremendous strengths and, and virtues. How do we develop the infrastructure that will allow that really, in, in, you know, very special um, Torah world to also take responsibility, make its contribution, participate in broader Israel, because ultimately, you know, if we if we um, if we don't find a way of doing that, then as Haredi society continues to 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 grow, continues to develop both numerically and in terms of its its political strength, its social strength, economic strength, then this is only going to cause more and more tension and more and more issues in the social framework within the state of Israel, and it will also deny us as Torah Yidden, as, as people that have a mission um, in, in the world, in, in a Torah sense, it will deny us the opportunity to bring that to bear in, in, in the fullest sense possible. And the fullest sense possible today is, of course, in a, in a national sense, in a sense that relates to the Jewish people broadly writ and to the Jewish people's political expression in the state of Israel. And I felt that that just needs a lot of work. And then I, I just became involved in a lot of areas of, you know, you could call this, you know, Haredi activism, perhaps. Um, I, I was teaching in the yeshiva at the time. Um, I I, uh, I left that to become more involved in, in the rabbinate. I became the Rav of a, an Anglo community in Ramat, which, again, tries to, in a certain sense, realize a, a vision of transcending some of these more conventional divisions, are you Haredi, are you Datilomim, modern Orthodox, you know, where are you exactly? You know, we can transcend some of those by a commonality that aspires, an aspirational vision of Torah, an aspirational vision of Tfilah, aspirational vision of, of community, and all within the boundaries of what are we bringing to Eretz Israel, what are we bringing to the state of Israel? And um, and, and that's what I do in, in, in a lot of my activities. We have a journal, happens to be, it's called Tarikh Yun. It's a journal in Hebrew, 
uh, as well as in English. We have an English version. I run a range of educational programs for Haredi men and women, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, uh, that, that tries to unpack the, this vision from a Torah perspective. What do we think about from a, from a Torah perspective about different aspects of 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 um, of uh, policy, public policy? What do we think about uh, about Israel and about the Haredi mission within within Israel and so on? Um, and and yeah, and and you know, engaged in in a range of other projects. Also, teach at Hebrew University because it's it's important for me to maintain a connection to the different strands, the different sectors. Within Israel, I think you know that the 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 all they're all they're all a part of this broader scheme, and and for me on on a on a personal level, it's just important to be to be connected to be connected to to the people at Hebrew U to be connected to my you know my Anglo peers uh, that I feel obviously a, a you know a strong sense of of camaraderie of 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 community with, and of course to my Israeli Haredi world. Uh, in which is where I've you know kind of been operating for the last couple of decades, and I feel uh, also very much a part of. So I think that's probably enough for the biographical details, uh, uh, Rabbi Silverstein. Let's uh, let's move okay, on with, with a. With uh, that, a was a, that was a that was a great description. Um, so in, in the article, um, I think the primary claim of the article, in a nutshell, is that October seventh and the massacre that all Am Yisrael witnessed and experienced. Um, changed in some way, at least certain segments of the Haredi community's uh, relationship to the state, to its participation in the larger projects that the state is associated with. Specifically, the article focuses, at least in its title, in the question of the army. So can you just describe a little bit some examples of this? In other words, what are some examples of changes that you're seeing um, within Israeli society, within Haredi society, particularly on the army front. Um, you know, you talk in the article about thousands of Haredim who decided to join the army. Um, I, I have a lot to ask about that specifically, but just more broadly, like what are some examples um, of changes that you're witnessing in terms of your community and how it's starting to reconceptualize, rethink some of these issues in the aftermath of the October 7th massacre? Right. So, so first of all, I, I think it's important to approach this issue with, with modesty. Um, with with humility, uh, change is a is a big word, and and when we speak about change, then we speak about lasting change, change that makes an impact not just in the you know immediate term of a few you know interesting phenomena, but rather in in the long term, and and we we need we need to treat that with with um with a, you know epistemological humility. Um, Will there be lasting change? To what degree is the other phenomena that I'll mention in a moment, um, and, and that you've mentioned, you know, in in, in broad terms? To what degree uh, are those, uh, you know, premonitions? To to what degree do those, uh, do, do, do those actually um, uh, reveal uh, a deeper trend that will actually lead to to concrete, to real changes? In the relationship between the Haredim and the states, including the army and other places, you know, time will tell, and I think that that's related to what to what we do about it. But so we'll get to that later. That's just a comment on on the word change, which is a big word. In terms of the phenomena that we've been seeing, so so yes, um, there there have been some, I would say, prominent and and you know un, unusual uh, phenomena that that I've never seen in in my years here, and you know, speaking to to friends who have been here longer than I, 
they haven't seen these either. Th th these are prominent and and um, and and very uh, uh, very un 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 uh, you know th this is not your run of the mill stuff. So in terms of the army participation, well, th th there's a project that the army's had for a for a while. Um, just it's never been very popular or hasn't been in great demand. And that's a project called Schlafbett. Schlafbett is for people who are aged 26 and, and up, and they've already uh, received their exemption from army service, meaning they're no longer uh, of the age uh, or of the grouping that is uh, by law obligated to serve in the IDF for, for your you know close to three years of regular service, they're exempt. They don't have to do that. But nevertheless, there's a kind of backdoor into army service called Schlafbett, in which you do just a few weeks of regular army service. You get to the most basic, basic levels, whatever those levels uh, are called in, in army parlance. And then you can already be a part of the broader army apparatus in your Miloim service, in your reserve service. And the Schlafbett, the, the people who do it, are predominantly Haredi, just there haven't been many of them. And, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, with, within a few weeks of, of October 7th of Simchat Torah, uh, you had these, you know, few thousand Haredim signing up, sending an email, um, being willing to step up to the plate and to say, I'm going to do this Shlav Bet, and I'm going to be a part of this broader campaign that, that, that I feel I need to be a part of. And the army didn't, at the time, have the, the the resources or the drive even, you know, to accept all of these Haredim. So many of these emails went unanswered. You know, at the time the army was saying, well, you know, if you have a driving license for super heavy vehicles, then we'd like you in the army because then you can drive these, you know, tank transportation vehicles that we don't have any drivers for because we don't want to use the Arab drivers and so on. Fine. You know, that's who they were taking, which is obviously... Uh, a tiny fraction of those who applied. Um, but after several meetings, you know, with, with certain, you know, Haredi kind of, uh, you know, I would say, uh, you know, civic leadership, if you want, uh, that, that explained the importance of this moment and, and how, how it's, it's crucial to be able to take advantage of this. Uh, so the army said, okay, we're going to take more. And, and, you know, several hundred uh, Haredi individuals have already been through the Schlafbed programs. Um, they're, they're right now integrating many of them into their reserve services in mainly on the home front, uh, but not only also in certain logistical divisions. Some of them will be able to continue to do courses in order to develop their kind of, um, uh, you know, army training in terms of what they can do in terms of, you know, to reach combat level is obviously, you know, much more rigorous training than you can do in a few weeks. Uh, but nevertheless, they have different opportunities. And, and right now, the army, alongside civilian organizations that are partnering the army in this, uh, there is an effort to, to, to garner, to, to gather together uh, these Haredi individuals who have expressed their willingness and to actually, um, uh, you know, bring as many as, as, as possible into the IDF. The, the point of this is not just the fact that you have these Haredi individuals willing to participate, willing to do their part and whichever contribution they're able to make to the army. The, the deeper point is the change in the, in, in the mindset, the, the change in the consciousness. The very fact that, that I have a, a brother-in-law, okay? One of my wife's brothers 
he enrolled in this Schlafbett and came back to his Haredi neighborhood in, in army uniform. And he's a he's a standard, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill and you know, a Haredi individual. That's deeply meaningful. That's deeply impactful. That makes a difference to how you appreciate the 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 the, the potential, the capacity for Haredim to be a part of the IDF, which is not a simple issue. And please don't don't let anyone understand from my words thus far that this is a uh, a no-brainer. What's the problem? Let Haredim join the army. Not not at all. That there are definitely you know hurdles and complications, and it's not simple from both sides of the fence. Uh, but that's one phenomenon that that is very significant. And and there are many others. You know, from the beginning of the war, the Zaka people, the Rabbanut Atzvaid, the army rabbinate people, they were the heroes in the immediate aftermath of October 7th. They were the ones doing this unspeakable labor of gathering body parts. Uh, by the way, they're still doing it. They're still down in the south in the area of the Kibbutzim, Be'eri, Nir Oz, all the other Kibbutzim. You know, they're, they're, they're literally scanning through every, you know, uh, every inch of, of land, still gathering body parts that could be hive and kvura, still gathering body parts and, and blood samples that might help identify victims that were not done with the labor of identification. So, so the, these were the, the, the real heroes of the immediate aftermath. They, they received, um, you know, very impressive media exposure um, and, and a lot of love from Israel. And, and that, was a, that was a big deal. Suddenly all these, you know, Haredi-looking people are you know heroes of of the moment, and and they really were heroes. They, they, their labor is is you know I have no better term than un, unspeakable. The the kinds of um, sites that they were exposed to, you know, they were the ones that the first responders in the field. Uh, m- many of them were unable to carry on. They they dropped out. It was you know I, I've spoken to to several, um, you know, some in the rabbinotat for it, some people in in their reserve duty uh, were doing this, and some as as part of of Zaka and so on. And uh, really incredible, and and that also created this sense of of belonging, this sense of partnership um, that 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 isn't there so much on on your everyday uh, level. You also have all these operation rooms that are established by Haredi organizations and by Haredi individuals to provide food, provisions, tactical gear. People giving tremendous donations of money towards this, and tremendous resources in terms of time and operations room, both for providing food and, and provision for army bases, for the families that have been displaced and evacuated from the north and from the south, for those who are injured in order to transport them, to get them around the country to different hospitals, and so on and so forth. Meaning Haredi society, again, not in its entirety by, by any stretch, but in significant parts of it, have had a real involvement. And that kind of level of involvement is, is like I said, un, unheard of. It's not this is not your, your run-of-the-mill stuff. So there's definitely this awakening. There's definitely this sense of belonging, which, which you don't have, uh, at least not on this level, on your everyday um, uh, experience in the Haredi world. And, and the question is, where will this lead us? You know, if you want to speak about change, and that's the real question. How is this going to develop over time? Um, yesterday, in preparation for our podcast uh, today, I listened to another podcast uh, where uh, Dove Halbertel was talking about this exact topic um, in a different format. Um, he's a very different personality than you, obviously, and he has sort of a different take on things. Um, his pushback, again, Dov Habertal, for anybody who doesn't know who he is, is somebody who grew up in the religious Zionist community, eventually became Haredi, 
uh, is currently uh, also is a professor or an adjunct professor at Hebrew University, but very much lives in the Haredi world. Um, some of his pushback against some of the claims that you're describing um, are basically that they're sort of representative of the fringe. They're not sort of representative of the mainstream of Israeli Haredi society. Um, and his claim was basically that if you look at the hardcore, the hardcore DNA, you know, the Shiva guy in Panovich, Shiva guy in Mir, right? So you don't feel the sense there that um, the type of volunteer work or the sense that, you know, some students are thinking about going to the army is a real live option. And it's actually interesting when I found your article originally, it was sent out on the Tikva email list. So I clicked on the article and the picture in the Wall Street Journal, the title is something like ultra-Orthodox Israelis are joining the army. And the picture is of a non-ultra-Orthodox Israeli. So of a religious Zionist, Khadali guy with a big kippah long peyote. So he definitely is not your typical uh, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go explain. Go explain to the Wall Street Journal that that guy is not Haredi. Exactly. Right? Exactly. exactly. But it does capture in a certain sense some of the pushback I assume you receive. In other words, do you think that uh, that Halbertal is onto something that maybe, you know, what you're describing is and more I, yeah. so, of uh, the extreme? Of the, I, of the I, I didn't I didn't obviously um, hear it of Halbertal's uh, presentation. Um, but I, I would I would say it's it's. Um, it's uh I I would not I would not say that his point is reflective of uh, of the reality in the field. Um, these operation rooms, um, providing you know food and provisions are in the heart of Haredi neighborhoods and Haredi society. Um, you know the fact that my, my brother-in-law was in the Shlavet, I, I didn't I didn't make it to his to his base. I was slated to give a share there, uh, and I, I didn't make it unfortunately. I, I'm going to be there Mitzvahem next week to a, a different Shlavet. A uh, program that has 150 uh, Haredi, you know, um, uh, right now soldiers, meaning they're doing their regular uh, service for, again for uh, you know two three weeks. It's a short regular service, uh, but right now they're, they're Haredi soldiers. And he told me, you know, the the people who were there were your your Hebron graduates, your your Panovich graduates. Uh, the, these were not your uh, you know Haredi dropouts who are on the you know external fringes of Haredi society and fall into the army because they have nothing. Uh, else to do or, or nothing better to do with, with their time or because, you know, that they're, they're anyway not leading a uh, traditional lifestyle and uh, and and therefore they're, they're fine, they're making their way to the IDF. Um, that That's not the case at all uh, for these Shlavbet individuals who are, who are doing the army. Um, you know, is, is this, is, are, are these Yeshiva Bachrim? No. Uh, and for good reason. You know, Yeshiva Bachrim are, are learning. Um they're not signing up to the IDF. They're, they're, they're doing what they know how to do. They, they know how to learn, and that's what they're doing. Um, the discussion around how and in which way uh, younger Haredi individuals can or should be integrated into the IDF is a very important discussion. But that's not the discussion that I'm trying to lead uh, right now. That, that's not, for me, the interesting question right now. It is, generally speaking, an interesting question, and it needs a lot of thought. Uh, and it needs to be handled with sensitivity from both sides of the aisle. But right now, m the issue that that I wish to focus on, or the issue that I think is is the significant, the important issue right now, is the way people are thinking. The traditional Haredi mindset is a mindset that I would say emphasizes the division between different sectors of Israeli society. It's a mindset that emphasizes that predicates the them and us way of thinking right there's a there's a big them out there the them is the non-haredi israel and their responsibility is the branches of government their responsibility is 
the different institutions of the state of Israel. They're responsible for the army. They're responsible for the economy. They're responsible for all of that. All that goes into to, to running to running a, a modern state. Um, while the us, our responsibility is Torah study. Our responsibility is Hasidic courts. Our responsibility is prayer and religious devotion and religious services. And there's this division of them and us. And that division isn't just a division of, of labor, but it's also a strong division of identity. It's who we are. You know, you ask a, a, a Haredi guy, like, who are you? And he'll say, well, I'm, I'm a Gera Hasid. Um, it's a very, it's, it's, a, it's a tight and local identity that defines the contours of, of your life in many ways and how you look at the Jewish people, how you look at what's going on in the state of Israel through a lens of, of them and us. And I feel that the, the, the significant shift um, that we're seeing taking place, and again, I say this with, with modesty and, and, and with, with, you know, with, with the caveat of let's see where it goes, but the shift that we're seeing is a shift from the them and us to a broader we that encapsulates, that captures the entire Jewish people at least the entire Jewish people living, living in, in Israel, Hayoshev, Betzion, or just the entire Jewish people more, more broadly, and says, you know, it's really, it's about us. It's all of us together. That is what inspires people to do all of the things that I mentioned are being done uh, right now. You know, why are yeshiva guys looking to tie, you know, tzitzis for, uh, for, uh, for, for the army, for, for soldiers uh, to meet this demand for, for tzitzis, one of the symbols of the of the war uh, up until now and and you know so some will will treat this cynically you know because they feel inferior because they feel that you know that 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 the army is the real thing and we're not we're, we're not the real thing and therefore we need to strengthen ourselves and we shouldn't be involved in in tying titus and so on so that 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 attitude is has been voiced and i i'm not i'm not uh uh, uh you know i'm not unfamiliar with that but but i think that the truth is that whether it's that particular action or whether it's my brother-in-law that decides to join the army, um, the motivating factor is an appreciation that all of us are in this together, that it's about a collective we, and therefore that each one of us needs to do his part, whatever that part is. And that's the motivating factor, whether it's the motivating factor for going back to yeshiva early after a shortened Benes Manim, whether it's a motivating factor for, for special davening on behalf of soldiers and so on, and, and whether it's for all of the different actions that are actually being done in the field by Haredi individuals. It's because of a feeling of we're in this together, a feeling of, of a collective we, rather than the them and us that generally defines the Haredi mindset. And, and it's that we, it's that coming together, which I think needs to be uh, underscored, needs to be emphasized, needs to be reinforced, need, needs to be strengthened. And, and that is not on the periphery. That is something which I think touches the heart of, of Haredi society, not everywhere. And I'm not saying everyone is, is, is partnered to this. Uh, you know, we've heard rabbinic voices that are clear, clearly reacting to this trend. And, 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 and in Yaten Neman published a, an editorial piece that said, you know, we're, we're not biyachad. Don't, don't, don't talk about biyachad. Uh, biyachad is not a, not a good word for us. Um, it's a piece that, uh, you know, annoyed me uh, terribly, as, as you can imagine. You know, is, is that what we should be saying now, that we're not biyachad? No, chas v'shalem. But, but so, so that there are voices that are reacting to this. The very fact that they're being called upon to react, the very fact that they are 
you know, provoked to, to this reaction indicates that this is not a, a, a fringe um, a phenomenon that, that's taking place only on the exter exterior periphery of Haredi society. On the contrary, it's, 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 it's something which, which, which touches many. Um, again, percentages, I, I don't know. I don't know to give you statistics exactly. This isn't uh, uh, scientific, but, but certainly it's significant. It's, and, and, and even those rabbinic voices that have spoken out, let's say, against these trends, well, they've provoked a lot of pushback from other you know, rabbinic voices and so on. So the fact that that discussion is taking place, the fact that you have this, the, this debate going on within you know, with the, the Haredi space, that 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 too is is deeply meaningful. Um, one of the question, one of the points you mentioned is the question of leadership and the question of obviously if there are members of the rabbinic elite who are responding and reacting, it means something is going on. Uh, There's an article last week in uh, Musaf Shabbat of Makori Shon. Makori Shon is not a Haredi paper; it is a religious Zionist paper. The title was great. It was called Mir Pinat Satmar. It was a creative title, but um, basically in the article it talked about uh, some very prominent rabbinic voices. Um, who were pushing back against the sense of we, the sense of collective, the sense that yeshiva guys should be involved uh, even symbolically, like, for example, in tying tzitzis in terms of the war front. And, and some of these rabbinic names are, are certainly not insignificant. We're talking about, for example, the Rosh Hashiva of Hebron, Rav David Cohen. Uh, there was a story in the article about you know the rabbi who's perceived to be the Gadol Hador of the Lithuanian community, with Dov Landau, the stories about Rav Chaim, Feinstein, the Rosh Hashiva of Atarat Shlomo, all very mainstream, very significant, very important rabbinic voices um, who were resisting, I think, to some degree, uh, some of the identification that you're describing. I'm curious when you talk about rabbinic voices to the contrary, um, have there been significant rabbis on, on that level um, who have come out in favor of the initiatives that are being engaged in by people like your brother-in-law, or is it something that's more bottom-up has gotten some rabbinic support uh, post facto. I know that, I, I don't know this rub particularly well, but I know if you spend time online, there's a lot of discussion about a rabbi, Rabbi David Label. Rabbi David Label. Uh, I don't know who he is, but apparently he's somebody who's a very creative and interesting Haredi thinker. I'm curious um, if you find uh, voices within the Haredi mainstream in terms of mainstream rabbinic leadership who are advocating more proactive uh, approach in terms of you know affirming the one you're describing. So... Um, excuse me. That, that's a that's a it's a fair question. Um, certainly, there are two camps of you know in in the in the rabbinic voices that there are those who have been cautioning against this this trend, um, who have been kind of you know uh, uh, dampening this enthusiasm, and uh, you know I would say perhaps reacting to this uh, greater togetherness, this greater idea of biyachad, uh, this idea of achdus, um, and, and saying, you know, one second, you know, that this achdus can also be dangerous, it can, it, can, it can lead us to places where we don't want to be, uh, and therefore we, sh we should oppose it. Again, I, I don't think, you know, those words are not usually used in, a, in an explicit way, but that's kind of the subtext, um, you know, behind some of, some of those statements. Uh, there are certainly rabbinic leaders who have taken an opposite direction and said, you, you know what? It's our responsibility to be a part of this. The question how you're a part of this, um, that, that's a different issue. Okay, so uh, the, I'm speaking about figureheads like um, Rav, uh, Rav Goldwasser. Uh, Rav Goldwasser is the, right, Yitzchak Pinchas Goldwasser, he's the Mashkiach in Or Yisrael. And he, from the beginning, he said, listen, this is us. 
we need to have infinite atarasatayv. We need to do whatever we can in support of the soldiers. You know, Rav Moshe Mordechai Favashtim, who is uh, the the Rosh Hashiva of of Hebron. Um, you know, he said in in words that became very public uh, in one of the drashas. He said, "Listen, it's a mechemes mitzvah. You know, in theory, we all need to be at the front, and those soldiers who are at the front, you know, they're representing us, right? They they you know they're at the front uh, for us. Okay, you know." Uh, and 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 others, uh, Rabasha Weiss, uh, Miravirebi, speaks the whole time about Akar Satoyev, speaks the whole time about our duty uh, towards the soldiers, speaks about the whole time, uh, speaks the whole time about about the need for Achtas uh, at this moment. Uh, are any of them advocating for joining the IDF? Are any of them advocating for um, you know for uh, um, for for setting up operation rooms and so on? Not, not explicitly. You know, these are Russia yeshiva. They're speaking to their yeshiva guys. And from their perspective, the best thing that the yeshiva guys can be doing right now is learning and davening in the schus of the soldiers. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to give these yeshiva guys guns. Nobody wants to, certainly not the army. And therefore, you know, they're, they're speaking to their local audiences. Um, but the question is, what are they telling them, right? Um, so I don't expect them to be telling them now to join the army. Um, but what they're telling them is that they're a part of it. What they're telling them is that is that these soldiers, you know, deserve every appreciation, every prayer, every feeling of unity. Um, and and I think I think that's deeply meaningful. Um, you know, some of the yeshivas have been open to taintete. Some of the yeshivas have been open to matching soldier specific soldiers with yeshiva guys in order to daven for them. Other yeshivas have, have not been open to that. Because again, the question is, to what degree are you going to accept the premise of we're together, the premise of, of, of you know, each one is, is doing his part in this joint campaign and, and we're all in this together. And to what degree do you preserve the kind of them and us mentality and say, you know, it's, it's, it's them and, 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 and it's not us and, and we need to be cautious in, in our in our you know, encroaching on onto onto that that ideology. So, so there are differences within the the the, the rabbinic world. But David Label is 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 in a different field. He's not in the in the field of rabbis I just mentioned. Rav David Label is somebody who promoted Haredi um, employment, male employment. He set up um, Avratech and and Raftech. These are um, kind of um, opportunities of getting Haredi men involved in high tech professions. Um, he is considered one of the figures or figureheads of the kind of mo- movement of what, what's known as working Haredim or more integrated Haredim and so on. Um, so again, he's not in the same field as the rabbinic figures I, I mentioned before. Uh, but certainly he's been, he's been saying stuff. Um, he's been saying stuff that, that, you know, quite explicit, um, against, uh, some of the, you know the, the the voices that that you mentioned before. Um, again, you know Rav David Label is is in a in a in a field unto himself, but certainly within the broader Haredi space, um, there there's, there there are different voices that are being heard, and and I think um, it's also a sign of the fact that the Haredi leadership that you mentioned before is not centralized the way it used to be. You know we're not in the Rav Shach era where you have one Gdolador. He gives his 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 word and and everyone falls into line. 
That is not the situation right now. It's a decentralized leadership. It allows for a range of different voices. And, and perhaps most importantly for this purpose, it also allows for a tremendous energy of, you know, from the field, you know, bottom up or, or grassroots um, of people, you know, developing their own initiatives, whether it's in, in army participation, whether it's in the workforce, whether it's in uh, academia and so on and, and other areas. And, and these things are happening from the field and, and down the line, of course, um, they, they also have, you know, rabbinic backing and, and rabbinic approbations. But there's a lot of things happening from the field itself. What extent do you see that there's a change also in terms of um, Haredim outside of Israel and their connection uh, to the war project and more broadly to um, Zionism, not necessarily as a religious phenomenon, but more sort of a practical phenomenon? Uh, someone sent me an article the other day uh, from a website I wasn't familiar with that was analyzing the reactions of uh, Satmar rabbinic leaders in, in Brooklyn. And uh, the, the fear was basically that um, you know, the Satmar community has a very complicated relationship with the state. And uh, there was a fear that basically um, there was so much identification among the community with what's going on in terms of, you know, trying to be there for the Jews, Beit uh, Sarah, right, that that would somehow undermine uh, sort of their, their larger sort of us versus them mentality when it comes to the issue of the state. Do you feel that, you know, the same type of dynamic you're, you're experiencing uh, in Israel is happening also in the U.S.? I know there was a discussion a few weeks ago about a letter from Robert Feldman uh, where he opposed uh, attending the the rally in Washington. That being said, there were other uh, Rosh Hashivas and uh, other rabbis uh, who did attend the rally. But I'm curious if you see sort of a parallel trend happening maybe in England or in the U.S. or is this something that's unique to Israel, Dafka, because we're experiencing it uh, in the moment? Right. So I would say, well, it's it's you know it's unique to Israel in in the in the in the expression in the way in which this energy or this awakening is articulated is expressed. But certainly, the trend itself is not limited to the borders of the state of Israel. Around the world, of course, there's an awakening. There's a sense of brotherhood. There's a sense of belonging with this you know, with the ace Torah, that, that is an ace Torah of the entire Jewish people. And I think that this is reflective of a greater issue. Maybe we can dedicate a separate chapter to this, but it's, it's a greater issue of what, what happens over time concerning the, the state of Israel. Because, okay, you know, pre-state, so you could be anti-Zionist or you could be pro-Zionist. And, you know, both don't put you in, in one, you know, in, in one camp or another, vis-a-vis -vis the Jewish people. You know, the Jewish people, of course, I'm, I'm for the Jewish people. I'm for the Jewish people in a Zionist way or in an anti-Zionist way. But over time, once the state of Israel is established, once it becomes a, you know, formal representative in a political sense of the Jewish people, once it, you know, gains in terms of its stature, its stability, once its Torah world becomes the foundation or becomes the center of mass, of the of of the Torah world of the Jewish people, then it becomes much more difficult to say, well, I'm against the Jewish people. Uh, excuse me, I'm against the state of Israel, but I but I'm for the Jewish people. That becomes a, a, a much less um, uh, elegant position to the degree that it can become untenable at times like this, when the state of Israel is under threat, when there's a war that the state of Israel is engaged with. This places those anti-Zionist voices, if you want, in a in in a, in a real catch twenty two situation. How do you continue to be anti-Israel and and place your 
your your and you know hedge your bets with 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 the greatest enemies of not just the state of Israel but the Jewish people because they're one and the same. Meaning, in an age where anti-Zionism has become a vehicle for anti-Semitism, when those two are almost the same, you can't really separate between them if you look at the enemies of the Jews. Okay, anti-Semitism is just a modern way of expressing conventional anti. Uh, Anti-Zionism is, is the modern way of expressing conventional anti-Semitism. Again, in in its new uh, vehicles, you know, uh, uh, the the what what used to be um, more more right-wing anti-Semitism now left-wing, whatever it is. Let's not get into the the discussion of anti-Semitism, but it, it makes it much harder for for groups like Satma, for example, to say. And, and that's why Satma had to say, "Well, we're against the Tirikata because it, well, you know we 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 we're together with the Tirikata in opposing the state of Israel." But we're against Naturi Kata because they're willing to partner with the enemies of Israel that are also the enemies of the Jewish people. And, and we're, of course, not. So we're against Naturi Kata. It places them in, in this difficult situation. And, and Haredim in, uh, in America, again, not, not all, but a lot of uh, Haredim. Haredim is, is, is an Israeli kind of world. But the yeshivish space in the United States, again, over time, has become very pro-Israel. A lot of the, you know, yeshivish people who move to Israel do so with basically Zionist ideologies. Maybe it's not Zionism expressed in the in the full political sense of the word. Maybe it's not expressed. It's certainly not expressed in, in the Rav Kirk language of, of, you know, Rishit Michat Gulateno and so on. But broadly speaking, it's an understanding that, wow, we have our own state. We have our own sovereignty. It's an unbelievable schus to be able to live not just in Eret Israel, but in the Holy Land with, uh, under Jewish sovereignty. When we go to Yerushalayim, we don't have to uh, tear Kriya. Why don't we have to tear our garments when we go to Yerushalayim? Because Yerushalayim is built up and it's built up under Jewish sovereignty and therefore based on, on the Alacha, Yerudea, Simon, whatever it is, Simon, Shin, Shin, Mem, we don't have to do Kriya. But why not? Because we have to have our own sovereignty, our own state. This is something that you know, people around the world resonate with, and and I think that the you know Aguda got into a lot of trouble now over the over the rally. Uh, of course, it would have been absolutely you know correct for for everybody to to participate in the rally. You know, uh, uh, brushing shoulders with reform is is yesterday's battles. Uh, you know that that's not our battle today. Today, our battle is against the common enemy, and we have to emphasize the us over the them and us. We have to emphasize the collective we, just like. I mentioned before about Israel. That should be true about Jews outside of Israel too when it comes to uh, fighting a war against our collective enemy. And I think it's a shame that this raised some uh, controversy on, on, on the day of the rally itself. It's it's chaval that it came to that. I don't think it should have. It shouldn't have reached those those places. And 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 I think the fact that it did indicates the, the tension again between the, you know, some parts of the rabbinic leadership and the people themselves. The people do not feel in in uh, th- that way they feel that they should be giving their um you know un- unequivocal support of israel at this time and and uh and i think that's true outside of israel also yes maybe we could just end by talking for a few minutes about uh the future i mean neither of us are, are prophets uh that being said you have a very powerful line in the article where you wrote um we need role models who demonstrate how Haredi values, far from being inconsistent with full participation in Israeli life, are con- are consonant with it. Now, obviously, in terms of demographics, so the Haredi community is is rapidly growing, and um, it's going to be a very important feature of the future of the state of Israel. 
I'm curious if you envision, you know, given what you described in the article, envision basically a, a new form of Haredism. Um, because as you indicated throughout this talk, that so much of Haredi identity, and it, it's a powerful piece of Haredi identity, I'm not in any way minimizing it, so much of Haredi identity has always been a sense of, of us versus them. Um, and, you know, the question becomes, if, if Haredi identity is, you know, evolving, albeit slowly, um, to a space where there is more sense of a shared project, right? What does that do to Haredism? Does that create a new Haredism? I know that oftentimes people describe the project that you're a part of, I'm not sure if it's accurate, as Haredim Hadashim, you know, sort of like a, a new, you know, Haredi project. So do you, do you envision this sort of like um, Haredi community moving forward, hopefully continuing uh, with this type of attitude being similar to the current Haredi model? Or do you envision, you know, something slightly differently? I'm not talking about, you know, ideology and sort of, you know, integration or a salvagic sense or a cook sense. I'm talking about, you know, more sociologically, like how do you, will Haredism of the future, given the direction that you're describing, be the Haredism um, that's currently taking place in Israel? Right. So that that's an excellent question and, you know, deserves uh, a longer answer than than the one I'll be able to present now. Um, but, you, you know, Haredi society is predicated on a certain isolationism. The Haredi society espoused a strategy versus the modern world and the threats that the modern world presents. So that the Haredi space or the Haredi world presented a strategy of isolating. When you isolate from the modern world, then you can try to evade and, and to, to ensure that those you know, winds of change, if you want, that began in the Enlightenment period, you know, 19th and 20th century, and, and today have obviously changed forms, um, but, but still remain very much a, a threat, whether it's a threat in the value sense of radical individualism that can undermine the, the sense of community and, and whether it's the culture, which of course remains, you know, um, a, a real a real threat to, to Torah true life in terms of the promiscuity, in terms of the of the values that are embedded in, in that culture. So the Haredi world, uh, of course, uh, espoused the policy of of isolationism from that. And, and a part of that isolationism is also this sense of identity. Yes, uh, it's, it's them and us. Um, I think that as, as we proceed through the 21st century, there's going to be an in inevitable need to adjust that strategy in a way that will, uh, that will be fit, in a way that, that will be um, uh, effective for the kinds of changes for for the kinds of 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 trends that we're experiencing already okay and and both of those areas both the area of you know identity and the area of the cultural and value oriented isolationism both of those need tremendous work in order to maintain this project on on the one hand you know in the identity sense you know you you can't be them and us you can't isolate from yourselves, all right? Once Haredi society is, is that big, that it just becomes a part of the Jewish majority of Israel. I mean, Haredi society at inception was, I don't know, less than 3% of Israel's population. Today, it's creeping up to 15% of Israel's population. 
And if you look at school age kids, it's it's 25% of Israel's population. So, so, you know, clearly Haredi society is going to be a major part of Israel in years to come. Once Haredim are Israel, then you can't isolate from yourself, right? Once you are, you know, de facto a, a part of the Jewish major- majority, then you can't remain a passive minority and say, we're just going to stay on the sidelines. It just doesn't work anymore. And therefore that, it just needs reconfiguring. It needs rethinking. Um, and the same is true of the cultural and value uh, issue because of internet and because of the sheer size. Both the, both the, the encroachment, the penetration of internet into the Haredi world on the one hand, and the sheer size of Haredi society, that by definition involves a certain shared space with the rest of Israel. Both of those factors mean that the kind of isolated life, the kind of seclusion and and enclave societies that we're used to or or that we were used to in the past, those are going to be impossible to sustain uh, going forwards. And therefore, we, we need to think, how are we going to preserve all of the all of the goodness, all of the all, all of what's good and wholesome and, and pure and, and, and important for the Jewish people that the Haredim have been able to maintain, how do we preserve that while at the same time accepting the fact that the level of isolation, whether in terms of identity or in terms of the, the, the values and cultural sense, won't be the same as it was before. And, and that requires a lot of development. I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to map this out on, on, this, on this short you know, podcast interview, but that, you know, part of the mission of Tzarek Yun as a, as a, as a journalist, certainly to try to, to thrash that out, to, to try to understand how that can look. And yes, we need ideas. We need role models. We, we need leaders. I, I think we need a, a you know, a, a newspaper or a, other publication that will be able to thrash that out. That, that is crucial for the future of Haredi society. I think it's crucial for the future of, of, of Israel. And and I also think that you know Kodesh Baruch Hu has has a plan over here. Of course, that plan unfolds by the by the you know by the um, by, by the work of of human hands and by the decisions that we make. Um, but but that plan has brought us to a place where, together with this new challenge that faces the Haredi world of of how do we conceive of ourselves when we are more participant, more responsible for what's going on in broader Israel, that comes together with a new reality that Haredi society is strong. We're not where we were 70 years ago, very weak and feeble and decimated by the horrors of the Holocaust and trying to rebuild. That's not where we are now. We have a tremendous numbers of, of institutions, of yeshivas, of communities, just of people and, and, and a certain strength. And I think it's a time where, where, where we'll be able to kind of, you know, at, while negotiating, while navigating these challenges, it's also an opportunity of how do we bring all, all of the good that we have, all of this light that we have that, that shouldn't be anymore in this, in this model of a Tevas Noach, a Noah's Ark, of keeping it all to ourselves while we wait, while we, while we uh, uh, you know, brave, brave the storm or, or while we, we, we stave off the storm as it were. No, it's a, it's a model of a lighthouse that we're, you know, we, we, we're still, you know, as it were, rising above the storm, but able to 
to project the, the, the light to the rest of Israel, to the rest of the Jewish people. That's what we need. That's what Israel needs today. In, in the, the Israel needs to be reconstituted, not just the Haredim. And then this broad project of reconstituting, re, you know, the, the rethinking uh, Israel post-October 7th, we want to be a part of that. It's a tremendous chus to be a part of that. It would be a tremendous failing if, if we wouldn't be a part of that. And, and I think that, that, you know, that it's a big project. You know, obviously, there are many questions that need to be asked, many issues that need to be negotiated and navigated. But but that that's up to us to, to do that, up to us, up to the rabbinic leadership, up to up to the, the, the project that 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 derived from, from the field. Uh, and of course, the, the, the way in which we're, we're able to, you know, in, in a tourist sense to 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 ensure that they are able to bring to bear, they're able to, to bring out. The, the best of what we have in in this in this uh, in the in these new new days and, and new situations that we're facing. If I could just ask you one last question, um, do, do you see any change in terms of how um, this dynamic is playing out in terms of the Haredi political sphere? Obviously, one of the ways that communities you know express their values is through their leaders, not only their rabbinic leaders, but their political leaders. Who, in this case, political leaders are very much um, you know work in tandem and listen to the Das Torah and to the views of the Gedolei Torah. Do you have a sense that, um, you know, oftentimes the rhetoric coming out of the Haredi political leadership is, is quite extreme? Uh, it's very much a rhetoric of us versus them. Uh, I'm curious if you think that post-October 7th, maybe we'll see some type of change, maybe more representation within Haredi parties, of people who are looking for sort of a different type of language. Uh, maybe, you know, people start talking about some subtle policy shifts. Or do you think that, you know, the Haredi community is not even close to being there yet in terms of thinking about even subtle change in terms of uh, the political leadership. But just to give you an example, I mean, I, I work in the old city and I see, um, I forgot his name, but I think it's Pintrus or Pintrus. He's one of the Haredi, Haredi Knesset. I see him quite regularly in the old city. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, he, he's made some really offensive comments that are very much uh, divisive. And you've heard this also from Moshe Gaffney and other people. So I'm curious, just in terms of the rhetoric, um, in terms of how things are shifting, do you, do you envision a softer tone? Do you envision some type of change, um, you know, on the ground in terms of how the Knesset is, is, is constituted or reconstituted uh, in the in the aftermath of October seventh, moving forward? Yeah. So that, that's a that's a good question. And thus far, I have not heard any kind of um, uh, you know. There's, there's in in Israel, there's a, a general usage of the word conception, right? In Hebrew, conceptia, and and the, there's a there's this, this big discussion going on in different sectors within Israel about shvirata uh, conceptiot, you know, the breaking of previous conceptions, and that's true on 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 the left, and it's true on the right, and it's true in the military, uh, in in the army. Uh, and so on. You know, we, we used to have a certain conceptia, a certain conception, a certain attitude, approach, mindset, and that mindset needs rethinking. It needs, you know, re, re, uh, uh, re, reconstituting post-October 7th. I have not heard that from our political leaders, from Haredi political leaders. Uh, to their credit, um, they're keeping quiet. Uh, they're not saying anything, uh, but that's not a credit. Meaning, it's it's a partial credit. At least, then you know they're not saying anything bad. Um, but but it, but it's also you know it's also to their detriment because I would expect them to be saying different kinds of 
statements and espousing uh, an attitude um, of 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 explicit unity, of explicit coming together, of 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 encouraging the kinds of phenomena that we're experiencing and that we're seeing, of of being out there, of of visiting these you know army bases of of Haredi soldiers, and 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 they haven't been doing that. Meaning in in the Shas world, we've seen some of this. You know, people like Moshe Arbel and so on, who have been very much in in that mold, uh, but less in the Ashkenazi Haredi space. And and I think that that's a that's a shame. Meaning I I think that that's regrettable. Um, I think going forwards, you know, ultimately you're right. The the political representation needs to reflect the people. Needs to reflect where the people are going what the people want. And if the the current political representation will be unable to reflect these changes, and if these changes will be solidified, reinforced, cemented, and so on, if, if that will happen, then this will, by definition, um, require a change in, in that political leadership. How exactly that change will come about you know, I, I don't know, but, you know, as, as we know, politics is downstream from, from culture. And, and in, in the Haredi sense, you know, the culture is, is complex, right? That, that doesn't mean politics is downstairs, downstream necessarily from, you know, from culture as, as, we, as we think about it, you know, Hollywood and, and, and music and so on. But it means downstream from the people, downstream from the way people think, downstream from, the, from our cultural expressions that, that those are the things that that emanate that derive from the people themselves in a in a in a in an immediate and, and direct sense, and then and then the, the, the politics will will reflect that, and and that's going to be true in the Haredi space, also. Um, and and I don't I don't think that these very seasoned politicians, you know, you mentioned Gaffney Pindrus, um, you know, that there are there are others who have you know been around for for thirty years, you know, and and they're they're old style. Haredi politicians, I don't think they're going to be a part of these, you know, Shvirata Conceptia, uh, breaking the, the old conceptions. They're not going to be a part of that internal motion, internal Haredi motion. Um, and, and, um, and, and downstream from, from that motion, again, if it's to be perpetuated, if it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, long term, then, then that will ultimately require uh, a change in 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 that in that political representation too. Hey, Rabbi Pfeffer, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is a incredible dialogue. Um, if people want to follow your work, I know you have a journal also called Sari Chiyun in English also. So, what, what's the website for that journal? It's just Iyun Iyun dot org dot il. That's the Hebrew one, and the same thing is is English, just with en at the end. So yeah, I, I can be I can be followed there. I have a lot of. Um, you know, um, um, videos that that I that I put out uh, mainly Torah, but Torah is also important. Um, and uh, and uh, and I, I try to publish in in other you know forums also, just to you know to put the voice out there. But um, but certainly the the journal would be a good place to start. So it's eun.org.il, and for the English version, it's slash en. I, I would just end by saying that I first heard of you. I was someone sent me. I studied. I did. A, I did a master's degree in academic Talmud, and uh, someone sent me that you were on a panel um, with for a tikva panel 
uh, with Professor Christine Hayes talking about differences in academic Talmud versus traditional Talmud. So I remember at the time being very intrigued who is this yeshivish looking guy on the panel uh, with Christine Hayes. Right, so, that, that, I, I just want to put out there that, I mean, the Take the Fund, they, they pulled a fast one on me. I was supposed to be on a panel with uh, somebody called Daniel Gordes uh, discussing, you know, the future of the Jewish people and so on. Uh, but there was a, a campaign in Israel at the time. Um, I think it was um, Protective Edge, maybe one, one of the, it was in 2015, I don't remember, something like 2014. And um, and uh, and he said, I'm I'm not leaving. I have you know kids in the army. I'm staying in Israel. And Tikva said, Well, you know what? You know Christine Hayes is here. So why why don't you just sit down with her? I'm sure you could have an interesting discussion. So it was very much. Uh, but 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 you know what? Yes, you're you're not the first to to have told me that that this is your uh, your first uh, initiation into the you know the Yeshua Pfeffer space. So uh, I I guess I guess it must be a must be a good panel. Like, well, we I've had, always we had... been afraid to revisit to actually watch that that youtube video because i was kind of like unprepared and i i, I figured it must have been like really bad but i oh no, it, it was very good and it's not easy to go up against christine hayes she's she's a great presenter so no it was it was really good we actually right, had so I'll, a, I'll a podcast it. about different you. conceptions of hashkacha so this may be you know it may have been divine providence that uh, <laughs> that that video got out anyway thank you again so much for coming on this is really a great dialogue Thank you very much. I, I appreciate the conversation. I think it's important. And uh, we should have a Salat Tavat for, for the Jewish people, for our soldiers, for the state of Israel. Amen. Uh, we, we need, uh, need Salat Tavat these days. And uh, thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of Tzarech Iyun, please share it with others. Also, might appreciate being part of this conversation. If you haven't yet, please rate, review. And of course, don't hesitate to be in touch with any questions, comments, and topic suggestions at oraitapodcast at gmail.com. This is Tzarech Iyun, a podcast of Yeshivat Oraita. <laughs>